I can still hear the words of my Fayed teacher. Okay, line up. Captains, choose your teams. Those may have been the most anxiety-inducing, sweat-producing nine syllables ever. And one by one, I was left standing, wondering to my sweaty self, will anyone choose me? Because deep down, if we're honest, no one wants to be picked last. I think that same feeling can translate into how we structure our lives, too. Because surely, there's no shortage of things to choose first. Our careers, that me time or tea time we've ignored for far too long. Kids' sporting events and recitals, not to mention our social lives. Family time, finally spending whatever little time, money, and energy we have left on things others tell us we need. We've chosen everything first, except for God. And while I'm sure his self-esteem is far more sound than mine was in gym class, the truth is, he doesn't want to be chosen last either. In fact, he wants nothing more than for us to realize we've been approaching it all backwards. As we've poured into what we think should come first, we eventually run dry and only see a fraction of the life we could. But God offers us an entirely different approach altogether. He invites us to show him love by giving our first and best to him. And as we obediently respond to that call, we often get to see a health and vibrancy elsewhere that we couldn't have otherwise seen any other way. We just need to take a time out, pull up the gym socks of life, and begin to choose first things first. Good morning, everybody. We are in the second message of our series, Putting the First Things First. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever used a vending machine someplace? All right? So almost all of us have. How many of you have ever used one, put your money in, made your selection for the soda or the snack you wanted, and it didn't give you anything? Has that ever happened to you? When that happens, how do you deal with it? For instance, how many of you, when you experience that, uh, look around and give the thing a bang on the side? Anybody? Okay. How many of you even go to the point of grabbing the corners and rocking it back and forth, trying to get something out? A lot of energy. How many of you have just get, gotten so frustrated you kick the thing as though it were a human being, right? It would respond to you by going, oh, why are you hurting me? We've all been there. And it's nothing more frustrating than when you put your money in, it won't give you your selection, and you don't get your money back. That's very frustrating. So why are you telling me about that? Because God was frustrated with Israel. He was giving so much, putting in so much, and getting little or nothing back. And so he addresses that issue in the text that we're going to look at today. It's found in Haggai, small little book. If you're not sure where it is, you don't have your electronic Bible with you, you're using the one we provide. It's page 1,440. I didn't want you to spend the rest of the time looking for it. It's not read very often. And I'm going to read it to you out of the New Living Translation. But let me give you a little bit of context around it. Israel had been so disobedient to God fallen into idolatry, rebellion, taking advantage of their people, practicing injustice, that God, in essence, decided to banish them, send them away. So he allowed the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar to come in and conquer them. And Nebuchadnezzar took almost all of the Jews away, and the few that were left in Jerusalem, well, they were left with a city that had been absolutely plundered, everything knocked apart, even the temple, everything was in disarray. And they went to live, the rest went to live in a place called Babylon under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar where they were then kind of mixed into the population. Seventy, 70 years later, God 
using Cyrus the Great, allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. Now, not very many went back. A lot of people got comfortable living in Babylon. They had families, they had friends, they had their businesses. And they still practiced their faith, but in closed communities. Those who did go back to Jerusalem, however, began to repair the walls and repair the town. And 17 years into it, they stopped working on God's house, the temple, and focused on themselves. And that's what God addresses with them in Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. God says, you have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you're putting them in pockets filled with holes. Has that ever happened to you? Like, where does this money go? This is what God of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because your, excuse me, because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. Now let me expand on that a little bit. In essence, what God is saying is, I want to be for you, but you force me to be against you. It's not how I want it to be. I want to bless you, but you won't let me give you the blessings. You're more concerned about your own homes and your own business and building an economy than you are about my home. Now, God obviously doesn't have a home as we think of a home. But in the Old Testament, he wanted to be near his people. And so within the temple was the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's presence, in a sense, resided. God's saying, I'm going to reside in your midst again. So go rebuild my temple in the Holy of Holies. That's where you should be spending your energy. Because when I'm with you, I can bless you. But when you're more concerned about yourself, I cannot bless you. And besides, God knew that if they continued on that journey, they'd be right back where their ancestors were when they were banished to Babylon. It would be easy for them to fall in love with themselves, begin to pray to Baal and look for Baal to bless them, and just leave God out of the picture. And so God says, I want you to depend on me. And one of the ways you do that is by honoring me and putting me first. In fact, God goes on, he says later on through another prophet. By the way, he's an Italian prophet. His name is Malachi. Actually, it's the book of Malachi. Just testing to see how well you know your Bible. It's the last book, and for those of you who are Italian, I apologize. It's not an Italian prophet. All right. Anyway, I want you to turn to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. See, now you'll never forget Malachi, Malachi, the prophet. And uh, let's take a look at what God says to him, to the people. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Look at verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, God says. 
Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and diseases. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, they're cheating God. They're taking what God gave them and, in essence, spending it on themselves, not honoring God with it first. Now, right about now, I guess when I was putting the message together, that some of you would start to think to yourself, there he goes again. Got to talk about money. Why do they always talk about money at church? That's why I don't like to go to church. They always talk about money. Well, we don't always talk about money. And do you know that Jesus said more about money than he did about heaven or hell? So it's kind of important to God. Let me tell you a story. There were two men that became deserted on a desert isle. And it was a small little island, and they began to explore it. And there were two very different reactions. Because they could not find any fresh water or any food at all. One of the men went into a bit of a panic. We're going to die. We're, we're going to die. There's not enough water. There's no water to drink. There's no food to eat. We're going to die. The other guy found a beautiful palm tree, and he just sat down across his legs in the shade and was so peaceful and so relaxed. The other guy said, how can you relax at a time like this? Don't you know we're going to die? We're going to die? We're going to die? The relaxed guy says, eh. He goes, let me tell you something. I make $100,000 a week. So what, said the anxious man. There's nothing to buy. You can't buy water. You can't buy food. So what? And the rich guy said, you just don't understand. He said, you see, not only do I make $100,000 a week, I go to church every weekend. And I tithe. I give 10% of my income to the church. I drop in $10,000 every weekend to the offering. My pastor is going to find me. <laughs> so I think <clears throat> that sometimes... We believe that this whole idea of giving to God's church has been made up by the Pope or by priests or by pastors. And I can understand why some people get a little upset about it. Because often, not always, but often it, it misrepresents God. And it misrepresents how God wants us to think about finances. And sometimes we make God into a curmudgeon in our minds by the way it's presented. Or sometimes into a mockery. Especially when it's presented to us like the Holy Lottery. You ever heard people or a variation of this say on TV or maybe even in the church, you know, if you send in $1,000 of seed money, God, I just sense from God, he's telling me right now, by the end of the year, you'll get tenfold back. You'd be shocked how many people, especially truly poor people, will send that money in. And it's like waiting for the lottery. And when they don't get tenfold back and they complain about it, well, then you know what? The folks on the other end say, they just say, well, you didn't have faith when you did it. And that's, because it ha and that's why it hasn't happened. I am not talking about any of that. That's a bunch of baloney. That's not the word. That's not God. That's not how he works. But God is a graceful God. And God still wants us to understand finances. And I'll give you some great reasons why. But first we have to start with the Old Testament. And we have to overcome some misconceptions there. For instance, in the Old Testament, God was in a unique relationship with just Israel. And through Israel, God's plan was to bless 
many people as they gave birth to Messiah and as they guarded and kept God's word alive. They're in a covenant relationship with God. And this covenant was, if you'll obey me, Israel, and do as I say, I will protect, bless, and guide you. But you have your part and I have my part. And I expect you to live in this agreement with me. In the Old Testament, they were told that they needed to tithe. And oftentimes when we hear the word tithe, because we use it in the church, we think about 10%, giving 10% of your income. But that is incorrect. That's not what the Bible teaches. Actually, in the Old Testament, they were required to give in excess of 20%. 12 different offerings. But it was an agrarian culture. It was an agreement specifically with Israel. You give and I'll bless. You don't give and I won't bless. We already saw that in Haggai and Malachi. You cannot impose that on New Testament believers. Because things have changed. It's no longer about tithing. You say, Pastor, are you telling me I don't have to tithe? I don't have to give 10%? Yep, you got it correct. And I've, I've misunderstood that for years. It's only been the last several years I dived into it. And other pastors would be in disagreement with me. That's okay. They'll find out later they're wrong. But anyway, I've come to the hard reality of saying it's not meant for the New Testament times. And it's, and it's hard to say that because the minute you do that, there's a risk that people are just going to say, oh, I don't have to give anymore. But that's because we totally misunderstand what the New Testament teaches about giving. New Testament, there are no percentages. The New Testament is all about generosity and sacrifice. God says, I want you to generously and sacrificially give. And I want you to give, and the Greek word is, with hilarity. When's the last time you gave and laughed while you gave and enjoyed while you gave and, and felt like dancing when you gave? Ah, not too many. Not too many. Ethel, hang on to your purse. Here he goes. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about this for a moment. A couple of years ago, I shared this with you. I think maybe I had a video of it one year. But it's, it's a memory I'll never forget. I was in Africa. And I was speaking in Ghana someplace. And the church was a tree, basically. And uh, we waited. And soon the women and children came. And then some of the men came. And they loved to sing and they loved to dance. And for the offering, they put a bucket on top of an old stump in the middle. And they began to play drums. That's the only instruments they had. And they began to dance around that tree. And then... The kids started, then the women and the men joined them, and they went around and around, dropping in what to you and me would be mere pennies. But for them, it was huge sacrifice. And they did it with such joy. And I watched that, and I thought, I just wish we could do that in our church. So, we won't. Because <laughs> not very many of you would show up to do it. But it's the attitude. See, it's the spirit, that joyful heart. Marching around and giving my most to honor God. That's what God wants to see in the New Testament. He wants us to show up, talk to him, and out of our thanksgiving for him, our love for him, our worship of him, we give. And God says, give generously, give sacrificially. For some people, 10% is not generous, not sacrificial. For other people, 2% is a huge sacrifice and very generous. And that's okay. See, it's, it's not about rules. It's about you talking to God and saying, God, I love you so much. I want to give this and so it becomes an act of worship. It becomes investing in God's works that will be multiplied throughout the world, here, near, and far. And the other thing is, it is also a protection for you. So what do you mean by that? Well, let's take a look at it. Grab your Bibles again if you want. 
And let's look at what Paul has to say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. He says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the root of, of all kinds of evil, but the love for it, the desire for it, is what gets us in trouble. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And I've met and seen people do that. It's so sad to me. They become successful, start earning money, they start having greater influence, and they move away from the church and they move into the world. And all that that God's blessed them with gets misused. And oftentimes their lives become filled with sorrow and tragedy. I like how the voice translation puts the same verses. Listen to this. But those who chase riches are constantly falling into temptation and snares. Sounds like our culture, doesn't it? Chasing riches. They're regularly caught by their own stupid and harmful desires, dragged down and pulled under into ruin and destruction. Our desires can be dangerous, can't they? And look what the trouble your desires can lead you into. Divorce, adultery, theft. I mean, the list is long. Our desires in and of our flesh are very evil. Because on he says in verse 10, For the love of money and what it can buy is the root of all sorts of evil. Some already have wandered away from the true faith because they craved what it had to offer. But when reaching for the prize, they found their hands and hearts pierced with many sorrows. Now listen to what Paul says in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. He says, teach those who are rich. So God's not against people who have wealth. And by the way, compared to the rest of the world, we are stinking rich. We have a lot. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. How many of you have ever lost money? Like, can't find where I put it? Or lost in the stock market or lost in a partnership or investment? It is so unreliable, isn't it? And so what God's doing is saying, I want to protect you from that which is unreliable. I'm reliable, God says. But that stuff is not. Don't invest your whole life in it on this earth. Take it and use it and invest in heaven. Remember Jesus said, lay up, your tr- lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy. Not here on this earth where when you die, you can't take any of it with you. He says, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Not all we want. God doesn't give us all we want because if he gave us all we want, we would be a mess. Look at the celebrities in the sports world or in Hollywood. Not all, but so many, their lives are an absolute mess. Money cannot truly buy joy. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. In my mind, I I think one of the greatest evidences that we believe in God is how I treat my finances, how you treat your finances. We really believe who God is and what he has said. It should be easy for us to be generous with God, shouldn't it? But a lot of us are what one author called Christian atheists. (laughs) We call ourselves Christians. We say we believe in God, but we don't behave that way. We behave as though there is no God And everything we have is for ourselves, and it's the survival of the fittest. It's just a challenge we face. I face it, you face it, if we're human. It's that carnal nature in us that says, I got to look out for me. I got to look out for me. 
When God says, free it up and trust me. Now, I've been talking a lot to you. I've been reading various scripture verses. Sometimes we learn the best by seeing things and by making it kind of novel so it grabs our attention. So I want to take what we've read in Malachi, I mean Malachi, Haggai, and in 1 Timothy, and we're going to actually demonstrate it. And I have a team of friends who are going to join me. So uh, they're going to come out right now. As they come out the stage, <clears throat> would you please give it up for them? Would you do that? Thank you. Right there. Please. Good job. Wow. Good looking kids. Can you guys smile? Let me see you smile. Yes, it's beautiful. Hey, what do you have? Ice cream. And who is it for? Moi? Me? Thank you. And what flavor is it? Oh, classic vanilla. Boring, but it'll do. Thank you very much. Hey, I ought to share some. You guys want to have some with me? You guys like ice cream? All right, let's go over here to this table. Whoa, 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 whoa. One, two, three, four. You ladies, go first. You can have a seat. Silas, do you mind just standing there? Okay, good. All right. Now, don't, don't get too close. Like, right there. That's just, all right? You, you all right? Yeah? Okay, good. All right. So I'm a messy ice cream eater, so I'm going to take my straight jacket, I mean my suit jacket off. All right? And uh, let's have a seat. Oh, now, see those people out there and online? Just kind of wave at them. All right, good. So you're helping me teach them, all right? And, and you're teaching me too, okay, because you guys are wise. And we're going to imagine this ice cream that Silas just gave to me. We're going to imagine that uh, this is everything that God has given us, all right? So this is like, this ice cream is everything that God has given to me. And... What am I going to do with it? That's the big question, right? So, well, we have to live in something, right? A trailer, or an apartment, a condo, or a home. So most of us have to go to the bank and borrow money to buy a house because we don't have enough money to just go out and buy the house, okay? The problem is when I go to the bank and I say, I'd like to buy a house, the bank says, sure, here's your money, and we want some extra money back, right? So sometimes if I want a huge house or a house in a fancy place, it costs me more money than maybe someplace else where it's not as expensive. So... I'm going to buy a house, and uh, I want a house that's big. I want a house where I can have lots of fun, all right? Oh, that cost me some ice cream. Yeah. Are you, you're the banker. Are you happy? Yeah. Yes, of course you are. All right. And then, then I've got to have a car. Do you drive a car right now? No? All right. Um, so there's the car, all right? But I think I need two cars, all right? So, and I'd like my second car to be a Ferrari. Whew, exciting, fun, all right? And uh, then I'm going to have some kids, all right? The kids ain't cheap, all right? So how many kids would you like to have? Three. Three kids. All right. That's three big scoops, okay? Because, you know, you got to pay for school. You got to pay for the right clothes. Whoops. Well, let me do something here. I'm pretty good with ice cream, all right? And then, you know, you got to buy you got to save up for college and, and all that stuff. Holy buckets, that's a lot, of, a lot of my ice cream that's gone. Then we want to help the government out, and we give them, <laughs> we give them taxes, right? Because we're very generous, right? We want them to have good salaries and rule well for us, okay? So we pay them our taxes. Not to mention the fact that there's insurance that has to be paid, right, for all this stuff. And how about a boat? Would you like a boat? Yes. All right. A slow putt-putt boat or a fast boat? Water ski behind. Yes. All right. So 
Oh, I gotta get this thing out here. There we go. Man, it's good ice cream. All right? But look at this. Like the more I buy, the more I spend, the less I have. Now, some things I've got to spend, but do I really have to have a big house and a big boat and have all these fancy things? Oh, my goodness. You know what I just realized? We've been leaving him out. Hey, I'm sorry, my friend. Leave you out like that. Come here, have a seat, all right? But no, not, that's my seat in the middle, all right? This, this is like mine, okay? You just sit over there. Now have a seat. Come around, have a seat. All right, there you go. Good job. All right, so obviously in our little skit, you represent God, okay? And I haven't given you anything, God. So well, do you mind? I'm just going to get some for myself first, okay? I mean, because i got to live, right? Like I've given everything else away. Man, there's not, you know, <clears throat> my investments didn't come through like I thought. I thought I'd have more in here by now. There. Suppose you want some. There you go. This sticky ice cream. There. Hold it up. Yay. Excited about that? <laughs> Compared to that? Probably not, right? Hey, guess what? I was just at Costco. Brand new, flat screen, huge TV, and an awesome game console. I can't afford it with this. But I could afford it if I took some of this. I mean, you're God, you don't mind, do you? You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Right? Oh, what's going on here? I've messed this whole thing up, haven't I? Because, like, I put myself first. So... Really, what I should do is put you right at the center, okay? And I should be out of the way. And I should have started by realizing that everything, sorry ladies, everything I have belongs to you first. Like I should have gotten that straight in my own heart and my own mind. A lot of times it's just how we think. See, that's what we want them to learn, all right? Because I know you guys got it down, all right? Yeah, that, now. How's that feel, huh? That is amazing, right? It's like God gets everything. But God is so generous, like I'm sure you are, okay? Then he says, you got it right. It all belongs to me. Now I talk to God and I say, God, what kind of home do you want me to live in? And I pray about that. And then I buy what I feel God wants me to buy. See, I'm including God in everything instead of, like, making God part of a few things I do. Maybe God points me to that kind of a house, right? And I talk to God, well, how many kids do you want me to have? And God just helps my wife and I figure out that's how many kids he wants us to have. And then I say to God, well, what kind of cars do you want me to drive? How many should I drive? And maybe God leads me to say, well, this is what would work for you. And then maybe I talk to God and I, I just talk about, you know, how I manage my money and save for retirement and things like that. And God gives me some wisdom and guidance about that. And then, you know what, there's, there's a lot left over because I started with God first. And, and God's meeting my needs, right? I don't have to have the best of everything because I'm going to have it even better in heaven. I need to invest right now in the future. So I say, God, what do you want me to give to those who are in need? How do I help my church? And God says, why don't you do that? And God, what projects do you want me to help our church with? Because we're reaching people here, near, and far. And God says that. You know, if you think about it, all right, there's less in there, but there's still quite a bit. That God may say, now enjoy that. Or God may say, well, you tell me how generous you want to be and how much you want to put in there. And God lets us kind of work through all of that. 
right? You guys still have what you need. Actually, you have more than what you need. And he still has quite a bit left in there. So when we do this, when we honor God like that, he blesses us, all right? So uh, I'm not finished. Sometimes it's like God just disappears, isn't it? I mean, we made our investment. Where are you? What are you doing? Wow, look at this. Ladies, look at this. Look what God is bringing my way. Right in the light. Right in the light. Let's move it over a little bit right here. All right. Over there. There you go. Woo! Ladies, come here. You got to take a look at this. It is a whole dessert car. Way more and way better than the ice cream. Stand behind this so all the people can see your beautiful faces. Cupcakes, cheesecake, cookies. I could get sick here. This is awesome. Hey, thanks for providing that for me. Now, what I don't want people to misunderstand out there, wave at them so they're paying attention, okay? All right? What we don't want people to misunderstand, and I don't want you guys to misunderstand, is this. Just because I'm generous with God does not mean God owes me. God wants to bless me. He's a generous God. And it doesn't always mean if I give something to God, he's going to give me money back or position or power back. God may give me a different kind of blessing. Do you guys know what it's like to worry about something? Do you love worries? No. Would you rather have peace or worry? Yes. And oftentimes things make us have more worries. But if we say, God, I'm going to put you first, he may not give me things back, but he'll give me peace back. Would you rather be grumpy or would you rather be joyful? Joyful. Yes. Can you guys smile? Let me see the smiles. Oh, that's beautiful. All right. So sometimes God knows that material things are going to make me grumpy because I'm See, I always want to get something, then I worry about keeping it, and I don't want anybody else to have it, which makes me, you know, kind of like the Grinch, all right? God may not give me back a lot of stuff. He may instead just fill my heart with joy as he sees the stuff I give him get multiplied and used by him. Isn't that amazing? God is so incredibly generous. And for helping me out, take your bowls of ice cream, go back there and make yourself sick, all right? <laughs> have a great time, all right? Let's give it up for my team. Good job. They are amazing. See, well, that was entertaining, entertaining and interesting. What does it actually mean? What are you trying to say to us? Nothing complicated. I'm just simply trying to say, God says, start with me, not yourself. Put me first in every area of your life. Have nothing that's yours. Everything is mine. That's the first thing he's saying. Second thing he's saying to us is, be generous sacrificial with it, like I have been generous and sacrificial to you. I gave you my son. My son gave you his life. He died your death so you could live his life. I give you my spirit which multiplies fruit in your life, gives gifts to you. Just be like me. And then include God in everything you do and say, God, how do you want me to invest this? How do you want me to use this? Because God's concerned in and about every area of your life. In fact, we have a great ministry here called Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey. And it's, it's meant to actually help you in every area of your life. There are tables at door one and two. You can go meet the people there, sign up, leave your name on the table, and attend next session that's coming up. Learn more about budgeting. Learn more about debt. Learn more about how to save for the future, how to be able to retire, how to handle money God's way. Or if you're good at that already, sign up and, and help us spread that at our campuses so we can help folks financially be in good shape. But God says, if you'll, if you'll honor me, if you'll keep good records, it says in Proverbs. If you'll plan your spending, it says in Proverbs. And the Bible says, if you'll learn to save, it says, if you'll be generous toward me, God says, you're going to be blessed. Maybe not in the ways that the world thinks of blessings, right? But in the ways that 
that God knows will bless you truly to the depth of your soul. God has something for you. The Bible says that in heaven, we're going to be rewarded. Not because we've earned it or deserve it, but because God can't be outgiven. And he wants to bless us. So I encourage you to take this to heart and ask God about it. Include God in every aspect of your life. Now, I want to honor God as well as celebrate your faithfulness and generosity with Dale Church. We have a big announcement to make this weekend. I'm going to ask you to hold off any applause until I give you two thumbs up. That will be a time that you can pour out your thanksgiving to God for what's accomplished. But uh, we have to bring some high technology out here right now uh, to get ready for this. And I'm going to invite the uh, chair of our elder board, uh, Pat Maseral, to join me here as well. Because we have a big announcement to share with you that I hope will make you happy. That will show you that we try to be, as well, good stewards of what you give to God's work. No applause yet, but we have paid off our entire debt, our mortgage. Since 1984, we've been in debt. And when we finally, with our last vision of hope, we've been able to pay off that debt. And it's because so many of you have been faithful for so many years. Some of you are newer with us, have been faithful in the years you've been here. We've been able to do this. So we're going to get the mortgage out here. And uh, Pat and I were talking about this. And we said, you know, in the old days, they would do like a burning of the mortgage. Any of you ever been to a mortgage burning ceremony? All right. But I was a little worried about this because maybe it would get carried away. And then we'd have to go into debt tomorrow to rebuild the worship center. <laughs> so Pat, being the guy who lives on the cutting edge of technology that he is, said, Dale, we need to move Wooddale into the 21st century, so let's use a paper shredder. So we got some big technology out here. And uh, in all seriousness, uh, Pat, tell us why this is such a significant moment. Well, you know, this mortgage that we've had for decades has been a real blessing to Wooddale. It's allowed us to provide room uh, to welcome the many visitors, the many people that have come to Wooddale over these years. Uh, now that it's been paid in full uh, by God's provision and the generosity of other Wooddalers, um, it's a new blessing. Yeah. And uh, that blessing frees up funds for us to pro provide the hope of the gospel uh, to many thousands more here, near, and far. Yes. So, Pat, uh, on behalf of our congregation, all of our campuses, their faithfulness to God and uh, his blessings in their life, I want to hand this last payment to you and uh, have you take it and put it in our technology, and we will shred it, all right? And as we shred it, let's give it up, all right? All right. So let's all stand. And uh, I hope you sense of accomplishment in this. And if you've given, I hope you see that you have been part of the solution. And we now want to focus our generosity on getting ministry done. More hearts and more lives change. And so I hope you will ask God how he wants you to continue or to become generous. Lord, thank you for Wooddale Church. Thank you for 76 plus years of ministry. Thank you, Father, for the hearts and lives like we saw in the baptismals today. To our global partners and all the people around the world, thank you so much that you've used the giving of your people to benefit them and to help them, and to bring them into relationship with yourself. God, please help us not to let up. Help us to give more, to see more accomplished. And I don't understand this mystery, Lord, but, but you include us as your partners, and we thank you for that. May we be encouraged today, we ask in Jesus' name, and all 
God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Thanks, man.